sometimes, after birth, we perhaps don't feel like ourselves. But eventually, those feelings resolve. For some women, their postpartum time is filled with anxiety and compulsions, racing thoughts, and sometimes voices in their heads, hallucinations, and even violent behaviors. Today, we're learning how to recognize postpartum obsessive compulsive disorder and postpartum psychosis. This is Newbies. He's gorgeous. Um, it's a girl. Surprise! The whole family's here. So when are you having the next one? It's just poop. Ready for another? Wow, you look really tired. Ready to go back to work? Yellow poop? Seriously? Did you sterilize this? Sex? Now? You've got to be joking. You should sleep when the baby sleeps. She doesn't look anything like you. I thought you already had your baby. I did. Babies don't come with instructions, so there's Newbies, helping new moms and new babies through the first year. Welcome to Newbies. Newbies is your online, on-the-go support group, guiding new mothers through their baby's first year. I'm your host, Kristen Stratton. I'm a certified birth doula, I'm a postpartum doula, and owner of In-Due Season Doula Services. If you haven't already, be sure to visit our website at newmommymedia.com and subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also subscribe to our show through iTunes, so you'll automatically get new shows when they're released. Sunny's here to tell us about other ways you can participate in our new show. All right. So we have changed the way that we are recording newbies, actually recording all of our shows for New Mommy Media. And we hope that this allows everybody that wants to be part of the show to be part of the show. So instead of recording in a studio environment in San Diego, we are now broadcasting, if you will, (laughs) broadcasting or at least recording from our own home computers or work computers, um, but our own individual locations. So you know what that means? That means you no longer have to get a babysitter and go to the studio or call in, you know, in the various ways that we were recording previously. So hopefully this makes it easier for everyone to participate. So if that is a change for you that, you know, totally opens up the possibility of you being on our show, we would love to have you on our show. The best thing to do is go to newmommymedia.com and we do have some banners and stuff up on the site that promote the fact that, that we've changed the way we record and now you can be part of it. So click on that banner. There's an online form that you can fill out, which just gives our producers a little bit more information about you so we can reach out to you when we have episodes that we think that you would be a good fit for. The other thing you can do is uh, directly on that page, you can also join our Facebook group, which is awesome too, because that's where we post all of our recordings, all of our topics, all of the times. And that's another great way for you to be proactive and say, hey, I would really like to participate in this episode. So be sure to go to our website at newmommymedia.com and check it out. All right, let's meet our panelists. Okay. Um, my name is, is Leah Grover. I'm 31 years old. I'm a writer and stay-at-home mom to three girls, twins, age six, and a three-year-old. And that's me. Okay. Hi. I'm Graham Seabrook. I have two kids. Andrew is two and a half, and Rory is four months old right now. I work from home in real estate, and I also run a couple of support groups for moms dealing with maternal mental illnesses. So it's postpartum depression, anxiety, OCD, PTSD, psychosis. One is online and one is in person. And that's me. Thank you. Welcome to the show. All right. 
so before we kick off our episode today and kind of get into the heart of what our episode is focusing on, I would like to share a headline. It's actually a video, but it kind of falls into our news headline segment. And uh, this is amazing. The title of it is First Breath of Baby Born Inside Amniotic Sac Caught on Camera. So a baby was born still inside the amniotic sac, which... Obviously, this is a little bit different. The only thing I can compare this to, honestly, is when I was a little girl, <laughs> one of our cats gave birth and I got to see babies, you know, come out, you know, kittens, whatever, being born still inside the sack. And that's what this kind of reminded me of. I've never seen a baby still in the amniotic sack. I feel like most of the times here in the U.S., at least, we break that water pretty quick or, you know, the sack is broken uh, just naturally, right? And so I've never seen anything like this and I'm not really 100% sure uh, why the baby came out this way, but it's an absolutely amazing video. It was shared on Facebook, but the mother, I believe, was sharing it, Jasmine Perez, and it's absolutely amazing. I think last time I checked, it had Let's see. It has 24, over 24 million views on Facebook, you guys. So this is like, I, I'm sure that's not just in the US. Um, the, you know, people are, are watching this from all over the place and it's absolutely amazing. The video shows the baby coming out and still in the sack, still, you know, just functioning completely perfectly. And then the doctors open up the sack and take the baby out. And then the baby, you know, starts to breathe on its own. And this is just absolutely amazing to me, but I wanted to get other people, you know, your perspective on this to see what you guys thought. So Kristen, um, did you have a chance to look at the video? This thing is amazing. Uh, yes. Okay. So this is kind of every birth worker's dream to see a baby born in call <laughs> is what they call it. And yeah, I mean, I saw that video and first of all, I, I was a little fascinated because I it actually looks like a cesarean birth. Well, yeah, because they're they're already in their scrubs and stuff like that. Is that yeah? Um, so I'm actually really surprised that it looks that way, but I I couldn't see on the article if it specified if it was a vaginal birth or not because it kind of looked like it wasn't. But maybe they just like put the baby on a table or something. I don't know. But anyway, it is more rare here in America. I think mostly because of the way we intervene. And a lot of times the water is broken either intentionally or unintentionally, maybe during a cervical exam. But it is definitely amazing, uh, especially to see in that video that the baby's moving around as if still in the womb and has no idea that he's just been born. Uh, so yeah, that was incredible to watch. I know. Absolutely amazing. Graham, can you hear me? <laughs> what did you think of the video? Go ahead. Um, so no, I didn't get to watch the video because I saw pictures and it was a little too much for me. Um, I had a traumatic birth with my first son and I had a C-section. And so I'm a little birth videos and birth pictures sometimes are a little too much for me. And this one was too. But I have heard that it is amazing and beautiful to watch. And I wish that I could see stuff like that. But that's just one of my personal things that I'm a little fragile about moving forward. Yeah, definitely a, a unique situation. I think anyone that sees this, it, it's one of those, it's a water cooler moment, everybody. So again, we'll post it to our Facebook page. So you can check it out if you haven't already checked it out and let us know what you think. Today on Newbies, we are continuing our series on postpartum mental health, and we're discussing two very important concerns. 
postpartum OCD, and postpartum psychosis. Our expert today is Dr. Allison Remenick, psychiatrist with the Women's Mental Health Program at the University of California, San Diego Health System. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Remenick, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Can you please describe the symptoms associated with postpartum obsessive compulsive disorder? And thank you again for addressing these important topics. Postpartum obsessive compulsive disorder often involves really scary, upsetting, disturbing thoughts. We often describe these thoughts as ego dystonic, intrusive thoughts. And ego dystonic means these thoughts are in conflict or at war with the person's own values and beliefs. And the main symptom, I would say, of OCD is the fear of their own thoughts. Postpartum OCD is different because these thoughts often revolve around fear of injury or harm to their newborn. A lot of these thoughts or images can be violent or sexualized. Common thoughts, I think, include, what if I drop my child? What if I stab my child with a knife? What if I suffocate or throw my child out the window? What if I molest my child? And the other really common themes are, what if my baby becomes ill and dies? What if, what if my baby stops breathing? What if an intruder comes in and takes my baby? And I would say when these thoughts occur, that women often do everything they possibly can to either ignore or suppress them by doing something um, in order to prevent them from coming. I would say, for example, my patients who have violent thoughts and images will often dispose of all knives in their house. (laughs) They may um, just avoid walking down staircases or even being near a high window. They may not want to be even alone with their child, especially with the clients that I have that have fears of molestation. They might start avoiding changing the baby's diaper or bathing the baby. And I would also say that clients that have fears of contamination then would also start cleaning obsessively for hours, washing their hands. The client with fear is a baby not breathing might just be checking over and over again, going into the nursery, looking at the monitor, just making sure the baby is breathing, making sure an intruder didn't take the baby. So you can see that this would mean that they're not sleeping. And often this causes even more anxiety. A lot of sleepless nights, a lot of depression, a lot of panic attacks, and a lot of interference with taking care of their child. And I think these women are often really tormented by these thoughts, um, but also really ashamed for having them, which is why they typically don't seek treatment in, in a timely fashion. And how soon after delivery might a woman begin to exhibit symptoms? The question's a difficult question to answer with certainty because I think a lot of studies have been limited by the times at which point the women seeks treatment in the course of their illness. So I think what many women suffer silently for a very long time, and their illness will often go undiagnosed and untreated. And as I mentioned earlier, I think women will wait weeks, even months before they seek treatment, often because they feel ashamed just for having these thoughts. So um, I do think that patients who present with postpartum OCD admit to having symptoms even during pregnancy that we just did not recognize. I would say the majority of patients though will have some symptoms within the first six weeks of delivering. But again, I think this makes it vitally important to be able to identify and diagnose these women early in the course of their illness. And you mentioned some of the symptoms, but what's the range of severity within the symptoms? The range, I think it can vary in severity tremendously depending on at what point the women is 
seeking treatment. <laughs> Again, I think if we catch the symptoms early, the illness can be really mild and easily treated. But again, unfortunately, I would say by the time patients seek treatment, they're usually severely impaired by their symptoms and it's affected their ability to care for not just themselves, but also for their child. They're unable to sleep. Um, so that affects their cognition. And I think that insomnia only perpetuates and intensifies anxieties. Um, I've had patients become really severely depressed. And um, we know that depression and OCD are often, they co-occur. I kind of consider them like a married couple um, that come together. So these distressing thoughts will often lead to very negative thoughts about themselves. They'd often think, what type of mother am I to have these thoughts? So at times, women feel the only way to escape their thoughts is to end their life. Um, and I think when patients really begin thinking of suicide, that's when they often require hospitalization. Um, so it can be very severe. Are women with a history of anxiety disorders at greater risk for developing this? I would say that um, a woman who uh, has a diagnosis of any type of mood or anxiety disorder, like OCD or generalized anxiety, will definitely have a significantly greater risk of recurrence during the postpartum period. I would say more than half of those women would have a recurrence of symptoms. However, I think it's also important to know that most women might have never had any history of anxiety symptoms, and the postpartum period is when they first start experiencing these symptoms. And to our parents, were any of you diagnosed with postpartum OCD, and what was your experience? I wasn't diagnosed with OCD myself, and I only ever had one intrusive thought, which was terrifying and made me very, very, very grateful that I did not have to go through that. But I have worked with a lot of women who have dealt with OCD or are dealing with postpartum OCD in the support groups that I run both in person and online. I've only ever helped two moms that had postpartum psychosis because it, psychosis is just pretty rare. I'm sure Allison already said that, but it's just it's just pretty rare. But there's a lot of OCD that I'm seeing with moms that I'm working with right now. Well, I imagine just like all um, of these mood disorders, it's just really difficult to be caring for your baby uh, and just the daily demands that go with being a mom. And then on top of that, to be suffering with these thoughts and feelings and just the lack of time that we allot for ourselves to do self-care, it just exacerbates the problem, especially when we have multiple children. I think it's just really hard to sit there and say, okay, I'm having this problem, but how am I going to have time to go to the doctor or go to a support group? Or, you know, we feel like we're a failure for just having these thoughts and feelings when in reality, I mean, it's not that we did anything wrong, but it's so hard in this super mom culture that we have to to sit there and say, it's okay for me to be going through something and it's okay for me to seek help for it. Even if it's going to make us a better parent in the long run, it's just so hard to take that first step sometimes because we feel like we're taking from our children because we're not being present 100% physically a whole all day, day in and day out. But I think it's important for us to realize, hey, if we're physically present, we're not always mentally and emotionally present. And you know, we're important too. Moms are important too. I always say they're the most important because it's, it's so important that they stay healthy um, and happy to make sure that they are able to take care of their children. 
Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we're the primary caretakers in a lot of households. So if we're not feeling well, then, you know, we can't be fully present in giving the kids the quality that maybe we want to give them. Also, the great thing about having online support groups and not just support groups that, you know, you have to take time out of your day to go to. There are a lot of support groups that are that have their own platforms, and then there are support groups that function through Facebook and Twitter. And it's a great way for moms to reach out and connect with other moms while you're cooking dinner, while you're feeding the baby, while you're doing you know everything else that you have to do in your life, um, and so that you don't have to think, oh, I have to take all of this time out. It just helps um, to be able to, it just helps to be able to connect with women while you're doing everything else that you have to do in your life. Dr. Remenick, what are some of the ways a woman can seek support and treatment for this disorder? Here in San Diego, uh, we have the Postpartum Health Alliance, which is a subchapter of the Postpartum Support International. So I think usually the best way is to jump onto that website, the Postpartum Health Alliance website. And there's a lot of support groups, therapists, psychiatrists, um, if needed. Uh, And I think it's a great resource for um, any mom who's experiencing any sort of anxiety or depression. When we come back, we will continue our discussion about postpartum mental health and learn about postpartum psychosis. We will be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the show. We are talking with Dr. Allison Remenick about postpartum mental health and postpartum psychosis. Dr. Remenick, can you please describe what are some of the symptoms of postpartum psychosis? Sure. Uh, well, postpartum psychosis is uh, a medical emergency. And I think one of the defining symptoms is really having just a break from reality. So oftentimes people will have delusions. So that means those are kind of like fixed false beliefs Sometimes um, people just feel like they um, uh, have grandiose thoughts, like they have special powers. They often have auditory hallucinations, sometimes being command in nature. And that means kind of the voices tell them things to do, like hurt yourself or hurt your baby. And they feel like this is their reality. So it's it's very difficult because they don't realize that something is wrong with their brain. Um, and they often feel like their thoughts are being completely controlled. Paranoia is also, I think, a really big symptom that we see in postpartum psychosis. So um, that just adds another layer of difficulty with treating because they often don't trust even their family. They think healthcare providers or friends or the government are out to get them. Sometimes they feel like they're being watched. And uh, sometimes people kind of have that paranoia around their child that somebody's maybe out to harm their child. Um, so they can then be very kind of retreat within themselves and, and not seek treatment. Is this a mood disorder which can begin immediately or is this a result of another postpartum mood disorder left untreated? I think it can be both because, well, usually I would say that um, a psychosis postpartum might be like the first time a woman has ever had symptoms. And we really kind of then diagnose as 
this patient with uh, bipolar illness. That being said, too, I've had patients who have histories of bipolar illness. They're at very high risk of developing postpartum psychosis after delivery. And usually it occurs kind of immediately within the first two weeks after delivery. Sometimes, you know, people can be very subtle about their symptoms and keep to themselves, but typically it comes on quite abruptly. And like I said, for a lot of moms, this is the first time they've ever had any mental health issues. Have there been any criminal cases which women have exhibited violent behavior because of untreated postpartum psychosis? I think this is the really the scariest part about postpartum psychosis and why we consider it a medical emergency is because even though homicidal behavior infanticide is rare, this is the disorder that would be most concerning for a woman to do something like kill her child. I often teach about the Andrea Yates case. I don't know if any of you remember that case, but Yeah, I remember when that happened. Yeah, me too. So she, and it was, it was really difficult because she had um, a history of psychosis and she was being well treated for it and, but had many episodes of postpartum psychosis in her, you know, three other pregnancies, was told never to get pregnant again, but she did. And then she went off for antipsychotics and she, I remember she felt like she was the devil, that she was bad and evil and that killing her children were the only way to save them. Um, so it's that type of delusion, I think, that can really lead someone to to commit infanticide. It's usually in that, that way that they feel like killing their child will be saving them um, within their own reality. Have any women become suicidal or practice self-harming behaviors as a result of their mood disorder? I think this is also a, a big risk as well, because I think I mentioned before a lot, a lot of these patients can have command auditory hallucinations. So those voices that tell them that they're no good, that they need to hurt themselves. And it's really it's really difficult when they start listening to these voices. So I think it's, again, a really big risk for someone not only to potentially hurt their children like Andrea Yates did with drown- drowning her five kids in the bathtub, but hurting themselves during this time as well because they're being tormented by these voices and their delusions. And to our panelists, have any of you experienced postpartum psychosis? And would you mind sharing your experience? I was never diagnosed with postpartum psychosis. Um, so I can only sort of judge based on my own experiences and what I know now about postpartum psychosis. Uh, what I know is that I, I definitely had severe postpartum anxiety and that it, it manifested in ways that were sort of obsessive and compulsive and occasionally psychotic. I had, I had, uh, in addition, a condition called dysphoric milk ejection reflex, which was incredibly traumatic and complicated where uh, the hormonal response to a milk letdown instead of being positive hormones basically induced panic attacks. So I would have a full-blown panic attack every single time my baby needed to eat, which meant every two to three hours around the clock for months it was it was a nightmare. Oh my goodness. And there's still a lot of question as to whether the dysphoric milk ejection reflex sort of contributes to postpartum psychosis or postpartum mood disorders, or whether having a postpartum mood disorder uh, can contribute to developing the dysphoric milk ejection reflex or DEMER. There's just not that much known about it, but um, I definitely had symptoms of both. So it was a complicated process getting the help that I needed and 
I always felt for those women that you you hear about in, in the news, you know, who there was the one the year before, before my experience with Deemer and postpartum mood disorders started, who had strapped her child to her chest and jumped off the roof of her apartment building. And I just felt for her in so many ways because it was so tragic. And at the same time, I had these intrusive thoughts that bordered on potentially hearing voices that definitely made me relate to that. It was frightening. Dr. Eminick, what are some of the resources and treatments available for women who may be experiencing postpartum psychosis? I would say, again, um, the Postpartum Health Alliance is the best way to go for moms who are experiencing symptoms. But I would say that these patients would need a psychiatrist. So I know there's there's a few providers in San Diego that can treat these moms, but usually they'll need kind of to go to medication and potentially hospitalization, depending on if they're a danger to themselves or to others at that point. So would you say sometimes if someone's having some immediate violent behavior where they're talking about harming themselves or harming their babies that they should go to an emergency room or do we have mental health crisis centers that are available? In that sense, yeah, I would say absolutely go to the emergency room at that point if someone's expressing the thoughts of hurting themselves or exhibiting behaviors of violence towards another. But um, I don't think there's there's not many urgent clinical uh, psychiatry clinics that I know of. So do people, if they have that situation, do they usually go to the emergency room and then kind of wait for a bed to be available at an An inpatient unit usually? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Remenick and our wonderful panelists for joining us today in our discussion about postpartum OCD and postpartum psychosis. If you feel like you identified with some of the symptoms we've discussed today, please visit the episode page at newmommymedia.com where you can find links on resources to get help. And for our Newbies Club members, our conversation will continue after the end of the show as Dr. Remenick will share how family members can help identify and support a woman experiencing symptoms of postpartum OCD or psychosis. For more information about the Newbies Club, please visit our website at newmommymedia.com. All right. So before we wrap up our show today, we do want to share with you some fun, I don't know, a fun way to wrap up the show because it's been a very intense show. We've been talking about some really important topics, but it's a very deep conversation, right? So I wanted to end things on a little bit lighter note. And so the Baby Oops segment is really fun because it's where you submit funny stories that have happened between you and your baby. So this one, I think we can all relate to on on some level. So Carrie wrote to us and Carrie wrote, this is awful. With my first child, they didn't give you baby baby wipes to clean them with. In my little cart, I had diapers, cotton balls, and alcohol wipes. Well, I figured the alcohol wipes were to wipe her bottom with. I was clueless. Needless to say, she got a very irritated little bottom. Looking back, I can only imagine how much that must have burned. I have since learned that the cotton balls were too wet to wipe her and that the alcohol was to clean her cord. Her little booty is fine now, though. I think that is the first time I've ever told that story because I felt like such a bad mom. Lucky my son didn't have to live through that torture. So when you're a first-time mom, you, you really don't know what's going on. But even, I will even say, even the baby wipes, um, I, one of my twins constantly gets diaper rash, just constantly. And when I need to clean it up and help her out, I even feel bad using regular wipes. There is something in the regular wipes, too, that really burns her. Well, the regular wipes have alcohol in them. 
Exactly. They have alcohol yeah. in them. Right. So, yeah. So it can really burn even, I mean, even, you know, if Carrie was using the regular wipes, <laughs> you know, might have the same problem. So maybe, you know, just grab some water and kind of wipe it down a little bit. That's what I've learned at yeah. least is even, even the regular wipes, there's some issues with, right? I like those water wipes. The water wipes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Carrie, thanks so much for sending this in. And if you're listening and you're like, oh, I have a funny story that, you know, you're willing to share with us so we can kind of have a nice little laugh about it, please send it to us. We would love to hear it. You can go to our website at newmommymedia.com and submit through the contact link or also through the website. You can send us a voicemail. Just click on that great little banner on the side that says send voicemail and you can send it straight through your computer. That wraps up our show for today. We appreciate you listening to new Don't forget to check out our sister show, Preggy Pals, for expecting parents, parent savers for moms and dads with toddlers, the boob group for moms who give breast milk to their babies, and twin talks for parents of multiples. Thanks for listening to Newbies, your go-to source for new moms and new babies. This has been a New Mommy Media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of New Mommy Media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, Please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.